0: Mention, too, that we also have a a very lovely card from Bill and Jan Jenkins that we'll put on the board that expresses appreciation in these words. With humble appreciation for all your prayers for my good report on the biopsy, I am greatly thankful to all our friends at White Oak Church of Christ, our love, Bill and Jan Jenkins. And certainly we do rejoice with Jan and the good news Uh, that she obtained. We're so thankful to God for that. We're thankful to God for them and for what they mean to the family of God here uh, at White Oak. They're a wonderful example of faithfulness and we appreciate them so very, very much. The book that I hold in my hand has been described in various ways. It has been described in various ways in positive terms. All of those descriptions really falling short from a human perspective of of the value of the Bible. It's been described in negative terms in a variety of ways as well. That is, there are those who have said, yes, it is a good book. It has good, um, good advice in it, good teaching in it. Some of it is even perhaps inspired advice, some not, some of it... Uh, we need to uh, hold on to other parts of it we can uh, dismiss because we know it was written by men, unaided by the Spirit of God. Yes, there have been both positive and negative descriptions or evaluations of, of the Bible. And while we always seek to preach from the Bible, I think it's good occasionally to preach about the Bible. And that's what I intend to do this morning as we look at an inspired description, if you will, an inspired description of the Word of God. It is a description given by the Apostle Paul in his writing to Timothy in the second epistle that he wrote to that young preacher. And in Second Timothy 3 and verse 15 especially, where we'll concentrate at least in the first part of our lesson most of our time, Paul writes, "...and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And of course, then we're perhaps even more familiar with the next two verses that follow, where Paul writes, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. These three verses are certainly vitally important passages, but verse 15 especially, I'd like to concentrate on for a few moments and see what in effect is an inspired description as we just simply break down that verse, an inspired description of the Word of God and things that we need to appreciate about the Word of God and things that we need to be teaching from the Word of God. He, he reminds Timothy concerning himself, Timothy that is, that from childhood, from childhood, from childhood. What does that tell us about, about the Bible? It tells us that we need to be teaching it from childhood. There are some translations that actually say rather than childhood, infancy. Indicating the very earliest possible age of recognition of of truth and and the ability to take in uh, Bible truths. Obviously, I think probably all of us are familiar with the so-called cradle roll classes that are conducted in at various times in various congregations. I remember when we when we moved to Malaysia to do mission work there from Chattanooga back in 1986. Uh, one of the first things that Janice was able to do there for the church at Klang, where we were working primarily was to help the ladies in establishing a cradle row class for those those little toddlers, those young ones. And the women of the congregation there were so excited about what they were seeing their children learn, what, they, what those little ones were saying, what was coming out of their mouths as a result of being in that cradle roll class. And they were perhaps somewhat surprised that they could learn something about God, that they could identify the Bible and recognize it and say that. And it simply reminds us of what Paul reminds us here, that we need to be teaching our children from the very earliest age. And that Timothy had been blessed by a godly mother and grandmother to be taught the scriptures. And of course, under consideration here would be the Old Testament writings, Not all of the New Testament had been completed at this time, a portion had, but primarily the Old Testament Scriptures uh, were in mind as Paul reminded Timothy that from childhood he had those who were so vitally interested in his precious immortal soul that they taught him the Word of God. And we need to appreciate that. If we are parents who still have those little children at home, We do not need to assume that from the earliest age uh, they are not able to grasp something that hopefully will provide a foundation for them or at least part of that foundation for further learning and for a greater love and appreciation for the inspiration of the Word of God. And isn't that also this phrase from childhood an indication of the simplicity of the Word of God? Isn't that an indication that the Word of God is simple in the sense that the things that we must know, the things that we must learn in order to be saved from our sins and to live thereafter in a way that's pleasing to God, that those things are not that difficult to understand and appreciate. And why would we be surprised at that when we understand that it is the dream of God, if you will, that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? That's what Paul expressed that's what Paul expressed in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 where he wrote, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If it's God's desire, if it's God's dream, if you will, that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, does it not follow logically that He would make the plan for saving man and for keeping man saved thereafter simple enough to be understood? And He has. All oh, that does not say that there are not the deeper things of the Word of God that draw us back or should draw us back to its pages day in and day out from which we grow and glean even more every time we make that visit to the Holy Scriptures. But the things we must know to become children of God and to live thereafter certainly can be understood. From childhood we need to begin that process. Then we have the next phrase, the next phrase you have known. But before I go to that next phrase, some time back from a publication called The Bible Friend, speaking of raising or rearing children, according to the Word of God, there was a little recipe, a little recipe for child raising that I've hung on to, which includes a cup of Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. Two tablespoons of Proverbs 19.13, and the foolish uh, son brings ruin to his father. A dash of Proverbs twenty-three thirteen, which says, Do not withhold correction from the child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. If you beat him properly, he won't die, obviously, but you would have to take that into consideration. But if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Uh, a teaspoon of Proverbs 3, 5 is included in the recipe, and that is trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not upon your own understanding. And then, a half a cup of Titus 2, 3 through 7. And as Clay had mentioned, since it's our country's traditional time for honoring mothers, this reminds us of the kind of mothers that mothers need to be. As Paul writes to Titus concerning the older women, likewise... That they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And then the recipe says mix all the ingredients, add a pound of persistence... One cup of love and whip until right consistency. My mother took that one very seriously about the whipping. This recipe is recommended by the creator of mankind. And then it says, Please add a pinch of Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Rearing children, we need to use the God-given recipe. The recipe from the creator of mankind that he has given in his word. But as Paul continues from a child or from childhood, he then says, you have known. You have known. And that is so significant that Timothy could know the scriptures. Because in the world in which we live, and I've often said that from this very pulpit, we live in a time and in a world where there are those who are trying to tell us regularly and consistently, you cannot know anything for sure. And how can they be sure about that? How can they know that we can't know anything for sure? Well, obviously we can know. And we can know that the Word of God is the Word of God, and we can know that Word, and we can obey that Word. 1 John 2 and verse 3, in fact, that whole epistle to 1 John is filled with that word no or variations of it. In fact, the, the epistle of 1 John, because it is so filled with that kind of certainty, is called by some the epistle of certainties. The epistle of certainties. And in one of those passages that expresses that certainty about what we can know about this book, John writes, By this we know that we know him, If we keep his commandments. 1 John 2 and verse 3. By this we know that we know him. Can you know that you're a Christian or not a Christian? Can you know that, that you're in the right body? The church of our Lord. Can you know whether or not you've been baptized into Christ according to the teaching of scripture? Can you know that you are living the Christian life? Yes, you can know these things because the Bible makes them clear. And from that expression, you have known, he then expresses what he had known. And here's how he expresses it, the Holy Scriptures. Not just the Scriptures, though he could have said Scriptures, meaning the Word of God, but he designates them as the Holy Scriptures, reminding us, that the Bible is a holy book. It is a holy book. It is set apart from all other books. And that's why we need to be very careful about the particular translation of the book that we rely upon. Because not all translations are translations and don't even claim to be. Some claim to give the thought of what the writer had in mind the dynamic equivalent of what the writer had in mind, rather than being concerned with translation from one language to another. There are many modern versions that are not versions at all, but rather perversions. And that comes as a result of a loss of respect for the Bible and produces a further loss of respect for the Bible. I don't know about you, but I do not want my Bible to read like the daily newspaper. That's not what I want. I certainly have no problem with a good modern version like the New King James translation, which I primarily use in my preaching and teaching, but it still is a translation that is a good translation and yes, it removes some archaic expressions from the King James. Though the King James, there you can look up those archaic expressions and learn them and you know them. And so uh, you, you've got them as far as that goes. But while I have no problem with a good modern version, I do have problems with a modern perversion. And that which seeks to read like the daily newspaper and which also contains fatal doctrinal error. You know, there. there's a version that I have in mind, The Good News for Modern Man, it was called, or today's English version, came out, oh, back in the, uh, I guess mid-70s or so, and uh, a particular denomination distributed them far and wide. We were living in Birmingham at the time. Somebody came to our door and gave us one, a paperback version. I think I still have it, actually. But in in Peter's encounter with Simon the sorcerer in terms of what uh, he tells him about his money perishing with him, I wouldn't read that to you from this pulpit, from the good news for modern man, because it's just absolute profanity, crude, profane. There are such versions that actually have that kind of language in them, but the Bible in proper translation can discuss gutter subjects with high speech, which will never offend you in proper translation and no profanity. And so the book is holy. The book also, because it is holy, depicts both the good and bad qualities of its characters. And so while David is in one place called the man after God's own heart, His sins are clearly set forth, and his frailties are certainly laid open so that we see that he was a man, obviously, and that he did make his mistakes. The Bible doesn't gloss over sin. The Bible depicts the good and the bad qualities of its character. It tells it like it is, but in language that will offend no one in proper translation. From childhood you have known the holy scriptures. But beyond that, he says, which are able. Which are able. And that word able is the same word that's used in Romans 1.16 about the gospel of Christ. Where Paul affirmed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. The word power there is from the same word that the word able is used here in 2 Timothy 3.15. And it's the word from which we get our word dynamite. From which we get the word dynamite. It has that kind of explosive power. It has that kind of power because it is inspired by God. It is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is powerful. It is able. It is able to do what? To make you wise, period, No. No, there are all sorts of books that can make you wise in terms of various secular pursuits and various uh, studies. That's not what the Bible is concerned about. The Bible is concerned with the greatest wisdom that one could ever possess, the greatest wisdom that one should be seeking to possess, and that is wise for salvation. There is but one book that can provide you wisdom for salvation. And Paul affirms that it is the Bible, the Word of God. Now I recognize that we live in a world religiously where there are all sorts of creeds, creed books that exist, all sorts of disciplines and, and prayer manuals and all of these things that exist that have supplanted for the most part in various religious groups the pure unadulterated Word of God. But those do not have the power To make you wise for salvation. In fact they'll take you in exactly the opposite direction. Because there is but one book that can do that. And that is the word of God. But he adds through faith. That's the key. Through faith. How can this book provide wisdom for salvation through faith? Because this book produces faith. That's very clear from Paul's statement isn't it? This book produces faith. In other words, faith comes by hearing, as Paul wrote in Romans ten seventeen, and hearing by the word of God. This is the only source to produce the kind of faith that will be pleasing to God and make you wise for salvation. Therefore, I must reject out of hand any and every other book or document that seeks to tell me it can make me wise for salvation as this can. There is not another revelation Of Jesus Christ. And when you confront those, for example, who are contending for another revelation of Jesus Christ, all one has to do to point out that that's not a possibility that there's another revelation of Jesus Christ is to go to Galatians 1. 8 and 9 where Paul wrote for though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel to you other than that which we preach to you let him be accursed as we have said before so now I say again if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received let him be accursed. Any man who thought an angel appeared to him to give him another revelation should have already been familiar with Galatians 1, 8 and 9 and rejected that rejected that hallucination which is what it had to be and not a revelation because there is but one book that can make you wise for salvation and it needs no supplementation and that book is the Bible and specifically of course for us the New Testament the last will and testament of Jesus Christ from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. But faith in what or in whom? The faith has to be properly directed. And that's why the last phrase is so vitally important. Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Faith which is in Christ Jesus. Why have so many failed to recognize that the only book that can produce faith and the only one who can bring about salvation is the Bible. And why do they reject it? And why did they reject it in Jesus' time? That is, when he came as the Messiah. Why did the Pharisees reject him? Because they were dishonest. They were blind because they wanted to be blind. The rejection today is either because of that kind of blindness or simply because people have not considered the evidence for whatever reason. Because when one considers the evidence, one cannot help but be struck with the fact that this book is like no other and produces a product like no other. That product is the Christian. How much should then we love the word of God that Paul has described for us by inspiration in Second Timothy 3.15, and then goes on, of course, in those two verses that we read earlier. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Complete, thoroughly equipped for what? All good work, every good work. Nothing left out. All produced by what? By the word. So, if I am desirous of being saved, should I not... Have the greatest love and appreciation for God's word. Listen to a passage in in Psalm 119. A great psalm as it depicts and elevates the word of God. But in verses 47 and 48 of this great 119th psalm, the psalmist writes, And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love and will meditate on your statutes. Should we not love the commandments of the Lord? Should we not love the Word of God? And if we love it, will we not learn it? Will our love for it not lead us to learn it? Acts 17, 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, speaking of the Bereans, in that they what? They searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. If we love it, will we not meditate upon it as the very first psalm reminds us? That we're to avoid sin, but we're to delight in the law of the Lord, and we're to meditate upon that law day and night. If I love it, I'm going to learn it. And if I love it, I'm going to obey it. There are at least 20 verses in this 119th psalm, for example, that speak of obeying God's Word. If I love it, I should learn it. If I love it, I should obey it. I might order a cookbook online. I might not, but my wife might. I might order a cookbook online and buy that cookbook and never cook the dish, a single dish, the recipes for which are included in that book. How much good has the book done? Nothing unless you use the recipes. Same is true here. I could even learn it. But if I don't obey it, how much good will it do me? What should I do? Learn it if I love it. Obey it if I love it. But also I should value it if I love it. Listen to the words of Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-three: Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy the truth and do not sell it also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Where is it possible for me to purchase the truth? Right here. The saving truth is to be purchased here. I'm to buy it and I'm not to sell it. I'm to value it to that extent. How much do we value the word of God? How much do we value it? A man in Kansas City was severely injured in an explosion. A man named Robert L. Sumner tells about this man in his book, The Wonders of the Word of God. I'm not familiar with the book, but he uses this man as an illustration in that book. The victim's face, the Kansas City man, was badly disfigured in the explosion. He lost his eyesight as well as both hands and afterwards one of his greatest disappointments was he could no longer read the bible but he heard about a lady over in England who read braille with her lips and so he thought I can do the same so he sent for he sent for some books of the bible in braille but after he had done that and had begun the process he realized that the nerve endings in his lips had been destroyed by that explosion. He couldn't use his lips, as the lady over in England was doing, to read the Bible. But as Sumner depicts, one day as this man brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters on the page, and he could read them. And like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. And at the time that Sumner published this book, that man had read through the Bible four times using his tongue. How many times have we read through it using our eyes? Do we value the Scripture as we should? If we love it, we'll learn it. If we love it, we'll obey it. If we love it, we'll value it. Buy the truth and sell it not. And finally, if we love it, we will exemplify it in our lives. We'll exemplify it. In other words, we're going to live it in our lives. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of flesh that is on the heart. Living epistles. What did Paul write elsewhere in Galatians 2 20? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I love the one who loved me as I should then I'm going to love the word from the one who loved me to the point that I'll exemplify it in my life. An unknown author, under the title, My Neighbor's Bible, wrote these words. I am my neighbor's Bible. He reads me when we meet. Today he reads me in my home, tomorrow in the street. He may a relative or friend or slight acquaintance be. He may not even know my name. Yet he is reading me, and pray, who is this neighbor who reads me day by day to learn if I'm living right and walking as I pray? Oh, he is with me always to criticize and blame, so worldly wise in his own eyes, and sinner is his name. Dear Christian friends and brothers, if we could only know how faithfully the world records Just what we say and do. Oh, we would write our record plain and come in time to see our worldly neighbor one to Christ while reading you and me. We need to ask ourselves, would our neighbor be one to Christ? Would he be one over to the Christ by reading you and me? The Word of God. Oh, what power it has change lives if only the world would recognize it. Do you recognize it this morning? We hope, pray that you do and that if you have not allowed it to transform your life that this would be the very day in which you would allow it to make that change because it can, it has that power. If you will simply believe in it and believe that Jesus depicted therein is just who he claimed to be, depicted upon the pages of Holy Writ as the Christ, the son of the living God and believe that He is the Christ or die in your sins, as He said in John eight twenty four. If you'll allow that faith to move you forward to repent of your sins or perish, as He said in Luke 13, 3, to confess Him before men, as He said, If you'll do, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven, in Matthew 10, 32. And to be buried then with Him in baptism for the remission of sins, as He declared when He said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you'll do those things... He'll add you to the church you read about in the New Testament, the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and in that precious spiritual body over which he is head, you can then live the rest of your life being read by your neighbor, exemplifying the life of Christ in your life to the best of your ability and continuing to feed upon the only source of spiritual strength that can guide you from earth to heaven, and that is the inspired word of God. If you need to come home to that word because you've wandered away as a wayward child of God, we plead with you to do that this morning and to leave here as one who could be read again as you once were read by your neighbors or friends or acquaintances and that is as one who was then living the life of the Christian. You can do it again and thanks be to God if you'll come home. He waits with open arms to welcome you and to forgive you as you truly repent. As we stand to sing, will you come?